Nobody in my family is a Christian. I'm sorry about that. Have you tried talking to them? Yeah, I was going to tell my sister about Jesus one time, and she was downstairs using the computer. So I went down and I was going to tell her about Jesus, but all that came out was, can I use the computer? I have a Bible verse about that. Would you like me to go get it? Yeah, that'd be a great help. Adrian! Did you hear that Kevin just wrecked his brand new Honda? No! Oh man, he had it coming! I knew this was gonna happen! He so deserved it. He is a terrible driver. He is awful! I think it's a bunch of when he bought that car. All he did was talk about that car all the time. It was ridiculous. I'm glad. I hear you on that one, huh? Well, anyway, I have that Bible verse for you. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Okay. Amen. That's right. We're in the book of James. That's right. James. That's right. And uh, once again, open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of James, chapter 1. Yes, believe it or not, we're still in chapter 1. I know this is a surprise, but chapter 1, we are there again today, chapter 1. Once again, verse 2 and 3, as we take a look, uh, hopefully a couple more weeks, on this aspect, how in the world could you and I, as you turn there, be constantly rejoicing? And again, the, the text is not just constantly rejoicing, but uh, uh, that's one thing, but how can you be constantly rejoicing in your trials, okay? And this is what this passage is all about. Now, again, as we get there, just to set the context, we saw that the purpose of the book of James is an acid test. Okay, an acid test for true Christianity versus fake Christianity. And the issue is this, if you can't make it, the first test was trials is the first test. And it's not just you can have joy in the midst of it. As a Christian, that is possible. But the pr problem is if your trials turn you away from Jesus Christ and you literally walk away from the Christian faith and you say, well, that's it. Because this happened to me or happened to my family or because of this suffering, because of this difficulty, because of this trial, I walk away. I'm not going to have nothing to do with Christianity or I'm going to become an atheist or I'm going to become some, a Mormon or some, get involved in some cult or something like that. Then the Bible says, listen, you failed the test. You failed the test. You're not true. Because 1 John 2, as we saw before, clearly says that, listen, the reason why they went out from us is because they never belonged to us. If they would have belonged to us, i.e. a true Christian, they would have remained. They couldn't pass the test. A trial came, and they walked away from Jesus. Eh, true colors just came out. And we saw the impetus for that whole thing is because the early church, this is the first New Testament book, the early church is finally getting out there and being a witness for Jesus. And the last thing that God wants is a bunch of fake Christians going out there giving a false gospel and a false impression of Jesus, okay? Now, James says for the Christian, there's some good news. You can be constantly rejoicing, okay? And that's our context. Verse 2 and 3 says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And he says the reason why that we can be rejoicing is because God is doing good things 
in our trials. And he just lists one in the context here, and that was the issue of perseverance. And he says, when you look forward to that, remember the key words there so far? We saw is consider, okay, and to know, okay, is what he says there. And when we consider that God is doing something good, literally when we look forward in faith, I may not see it now, it may not sound like it now, it may not feel like it now, but in faith right now in the midst of the trial, I'm looking forward to the good thing that God has planned in this trial as me, his child, okay? And I know, and that means beyond a shadow of a doubt. There's no doubt about it. I have learned, literally, Gnosko, experientially, I have learned by experiences, just like with the lion, just like with the bear. It's no different with this. I know experientially that God has to have something good. I can't wait for it to get here. And when you have that faith, and when you consider that, and you know that in the midst of your trial, you have joy. And you not only have joy, but you have what the Greek says, literally, you can do. You can constantly rejoice, not just in the good times, even in the hard times, when you do this. True Christians can do that. Fake Christians can't. They walk away from Jesus. They fail the test. We saw that perseverance was just one of them. Another one is to expose our sin nature, to keep us from becoming spiritually lazy, to cause us to be a blessing to others, to teach us that God is God and we are not. Hello. Uh, to make us more like Jesus, to keep us from wasting our lives, to make us more humble, make us more joyful, make us more loving, uh, to produce a powerful testimony, to produce a powerful character, uh, to get us steered into a new direction, uh, to get us to appreciate fellowship we saw last time, to get us to build our faith, and to get us to return to God. Okay, but that's still all. The next reason is to get us to witness for God. Okay, to get us to witness for God, because we all know that we never get lax on that. And good thing we have zero examples in the scripture of people who tried to run away from the uh, calling to share the gospel and God's love with other people. Yeah, his name is Jonah. Let's turn to the book of Jonah. This is the prime example, man. Uh, Jonah chapter one. And uh, wow, God called him to share uh, God's mercy uh, to a rebellious people, the Syrians, but he said, absolutely not. Okay, and uh, let's take a look there. And uh, Ezekiel, Daniel... Joel Am. Here he comes. Nope, not yet. Amos. Obadiah and Jonah. There we go. Page 690 in my Bible, if that helps. Yeah. 1463. There's man. You got one of those big manly Bibles. Right on. Man Bible. So, hello. Let's take a look at Jonah chapter 1, man. This is awesome, man. Listen to this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and he says, Go! to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, do you know anything about the, the Ninevites, okay, and the Assyrian culture and all the things that they used to do? Uh, brutal is a very kind word, okay? I, I believe they used to skin people alive. Uh, they used to put uh, captives, those that they didn't decapitate, kill, and do all kinds of stuff. And uh, they would literally uh, uh, throw, in, they go to a city and they throw a bunch of uh, the previous city's dead bones and remains up front. So basically this is you if you don't surrender right now. Uh, if, if they did keep people alive and went them into slavery, they put fish hooks into their, their mouth and drug them along. It was just a very brutal, brutal. And just the fact that they were coming struck fear in people. Most people literally just surrendered just because they were coming. And they were that horrific. So God says all of a sudden to Jonah, I'm setting the context, okay? Because you could understand a little bit of why he wouldn't want to do this, okay? Uh, and he says, oh, by the way, go to these people and tell them about me. What? These guys that skin people alive? Okay, continue on. He says, but Jonah what? He ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. 
He went down to Joppa. He went the opposite direction, by the way. Uh, He went uh, uh, down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid. They cried out to his own God, each one, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Okay. Uh, The captain went to him and said, well, how can you sleep, man? Get up and call on your God. Uh, maybe he'll take notice of us and will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and it fell on Jonah. And they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What, what do you do? Where, where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea. Uh-oh, that's what they're on. And the land. Uh, they, that, and this terrified him. And they said, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he just told them so. Already did. And the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do uh, to you to make the sea calm down for us? He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault and that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to uh, row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Who's in control here? Uh, slightly. Isn't it uh, interesting? I don't think it's by chance that obviously we see God the Father is in control. He didn't just, uh, is responsible for creation. He controls creation. He can bring a storm up. He can bring a storm down. Remember the the account of Jesus completely calming the storm? And I believe if I have it right, in the Greek there, it literally means, and it literally got calm. It didn't like, okay, it took about five minutes for the waves to come down. It just, which is, whoa. And in the Greek there, when it says uh, many times, uh, the disciples, they said they were astonished. Literally means blown out of your mind. Uh, that would do that okay and it's interesting how our society says mother nature is resp- and it's really father god i don't think it's by chance okay but anyways that's a little side note and he says this uh, wilder than before then they cried to the lord oh lord please do not let us die for taking this man's life do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you oh lord uh <clears throat> have done this as, as as you please and then they took jonah and they threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now, we all know that can't happen. That's ridiculous. That obviously has to be some sort of... Now, as we saw before in our Wednesday night studies, I, got, and I saved this one on file. I uh, got an actual uh, uh, article uh, from uh, Princeton, okay, and this was, gosh, when was it? The turn of the last century, the 1920s or something like that. But it's an actual article. Guess what they found? An actual guy who was an, on a whaling ship. Remember that used to be big, you know, money? that were oil and stuff like that and all kinds of things. Okay. He got thrown overboard. He was sucked up by a whale. This is an actual account. I got the actual report. And uh, he survived in that thing for three days. Okay. And, and because of the, the, the air pockets that were in there. And uh, he survived, and he was able to, he got out, okay? And, but the interesting thing that happened, because of the stomach acids, it literally bleached his skin white. Now, as we saw before on that previous day, what's interesting about that is the Ninevites, okay, they worship the fish god. And when he barfs him up on the sea, the rest of Jonah, if you continue to read, he gets barfed up onto the ocean there, okay? He most likely is bleached white. He's barfed out of a fish, they worship the fish God, and he comes with this message to repent. Do you think that God set them up to get their attention? Isn't that awesome? So not only, yes, this can happen. This is, you can take this literally, 
okay, it's really cool when you get behind the scenes. But what, our point that I'm bringing up today is that how many guys would say that getting sucked up by a whale is kind of a bad day? You're probably going to miss the next potluck, okay, my guess, you know, but it's kind of bad, okay? And so the question is, in a context, why would God allow, listen, as we're talking about trials, why would he allow his child, specifically this guy, his name is Jonah, why would he purposely allow Jonah to get sucked up by a fish? What in the world did Jonah do wrong? He ran from what? God said, you're supposed to be the guy who sets up the tables. And you... Specifically, what area of Christian service, so to speak, Christian is before the church, obviously. But specifically, what area of service did God call him to do? I want you to be a witness. I, I've given, I'm, I have chosen to be merciful to these people, and I want you to go tell them the good news that they don't have to go to hell. If you would get right with me, then guess what? That's the good news. They can be, listen, if you will, saved too. Now, what was the problem with Jonah? He could give a rip. In fact, later at the end, if you read the end of uh, Jonah, what you see is something absolutely mind-blowing. At the end, he literally gets mad at God for having mercy on the Ninevites because he finally does go up after he got barfed onto the uh, uh, sand there on the beach there, and they responded. The Ninevites, the horrible, the people who skinned people alive, fish of people, they responded, and at least had a period of uh, repentance there, and he actually got mad. He got mad. And then God brought out what was really going on in his heart, how stinking selfish he was being, with all due respect. He was more concerned that his little plant died than the fact that God was rescuing people from hell. And then he even brought it down. He says, uh, the children, don't you even care about the children, the innocent children? Are you saying that you're more, you'd rather have adults as one thing, but children go to hell and you're more concerned that your plant died that was giving you shade? Wow. So, so here, here's all, now, now that, what does that reveal? He, 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 he just flat out just doesn't care, right? And he is absolutely selfish, Okay. Now, it's a good thing that you and I never not care about the loss and we're only concerned about our selfish little needs. Ooh, isn't that convicting when you take a look at that? That's what this book is all about, okay? And so he, what did God do? He knew all this was going on. We can't fool him. Jonah couldn't fool him, right? So you know what God does with us today? Anybody ever be walking along? You know you're supposed to do something for God, but you're just not doing it. Maybe it is just witnessing. Did you know it's not by chance where we live? Did you know it's not by chance who our neighbors are? Did you know it's not by chance where we work? Did you know it's not by chance of the family that God has planted us in? Did you know it's not by chance of the people that we keep meeting at the same gas station we keep going to or the same grocery store or even just those divine appointments? The person you ran into that God worked in your heart and, and all of a sudden you got prompted to do something, say something, anything at the post office or wherever you are. That's not by chance. I call that the Christian's sphere of influence okay the christian sphere of influence okay so god on purpose has he could he could have put you in timbuktu you could be living right now somewhere in africa or in australia or over in europe but why does he have you not just in las vegas but specifically where you are in las vegas surrounded by the people that you have around you to witness exactly well i don't know if i should witness to him well i like one guy's technique he says what you do is you go up to that person you put your hand over their mouth wait a few seconds and if you feel air pushing against your hand, then witness to him. 
Okay, if the air's not there, they're dead, so don't have, it's too late. Okay, but if, you, if they're breathing, in other words, witness to them, okay? If they don't know Christ, why do you think you're their Christian? To witness to them. But many times, what do we do? Uh, we, first of all, I think it starts with selfishness. I just don't have time. I, I just don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, it's just, well, I, okay, after this, because I really got to get this. This is really important. You know, next time, next time I see them, that's what I'm going to do. And then if you keep that up long enough, I think it'll get to that point where we really just don't care. And we get to that uh, issue where, did you know that uh, God, uh, praise God, we, we get that mentality that uh, God wants to bust out of us, and that is, well, hey, praise God, I got my fire insurance, and we sit around on our blessed assurance, and we do nothing for Jesus. Okay, that is not what he's called us to do. So guess what God does, not just for Jonah, guess what he does to you and I when we're supposed to get out there and witness for him. If we don't, if we end up being careless, we could care less, and we're selfish, and we just keep procrastinating, whatever the excuse is, whatever. Has anybody ever noticed how God will bring a whale of a circumstance your way to motivate you to get out there and witness, right? I remember I was a man when I first got saved. For uh, seven years, I worked at this place while I was going to school at night, Bible college, and then later uh, doing graduate studies at seminary. And uh, probably about my uh, first uh, three, four years into it, man, just on fire, whatever. But it was just like, no, I, I don't know, it, really not much of a response. They were very antagonistic and whatever. And, uh, and then uh, God basically sent a whale of circumstances to wake me up. And what had happened after about halfway into that seven-year tour, if you will, uh, I found out that, you know what, I was backing away. I wasn't witnessing like a, with, with the fervor that I, I had at first. It's just like, well, they, they just never respond. They're always antagonistic, and, and they were. But who am I to back down and slow down and stop? Maybe you've got family members you've been trying to share Jesus with for a long time. And you're just like, well, whatever. They never, whoa. And maybe sometimes God will give mm, a whale of circumstances. Uh, uh, and sometimes, you know what will happen? Is God will allow this whale. He'll allow a death, a loved one, to realize that, whoa. First of all, I'm going to die one day. What have I been doing for Jesus? How's my walk with him? Am I still witnessing? Or, if anything, it might get you to wake up. Wait a second. I've got loved ones who still don't know Christ. I've got coworkers. I've got neighbors. If they were to die today, they'd go to hell. This is serious stuff. I, I, can't, I can't get lax. I, I can't get self-centered. I, I can't care less. I can't stop trying. Did you know on average it takes 11 times to invite somebody to a church service before they come, on average. Some might come right away. 11 times. So what happens if you give up on the 10th time? <laughs> Just, you keep going. Anything, witnessing, anything, right? And so God will send something your way to get our attention. Okay, why? Because listen, God, not only out of mercy for us, but listen, I am convinced that out of mercy, even for the lost. Because are the lost going to get the gospel on TV? Most likely not. Even so-called Christian television isn't much of a good source nowadays. Okay, uh, might be a handful, maybe fingerful <laughs> programs out there, uh, but it's getting far and few between. Right, are they going to get it from the secular educational system? Of course not. How about magazines? How about Hollywood? Surely Hollywood. Well, stop calling me Shirley, Mickey, but uh, no, there's, that's not going to happen uh, either. Okay, so here's the point. Then where are the lost going to find out the good news of Jesus Christ and how God is willing to have mercy on them and rescue them from hell, Jonah? Us. We're it. But if us don't do it, wow. Jonah 
hits home, doesn't it? We need to get busy. So I'm convinced that God will allow a whale of the circumstances to get us fired up like Jonah again to get busy doing what we're supposed to be doing, witnessing for God to the lost. Not just for us, but for the lost. Because we're it. We're it. We're the ones who have the truth, okay? And so this is it. I mean, it, witnessing, by the way, is, is uh, it's really not that hard, okay? Well, what if they ask me about? It's a rescue operation. That's all it is. It's a rescue operation. It's a natural loving response to somebody who's in danger. If the boat is going down and you're on the Titanic and you were able to make it to a lifeboat, but it's still going down, there's still some people there and they're even jumping off and even starting to swim around you, what is the logical natural response? No, it's not. He's like, <laughs> too bad, buddy. <laughs> I'm, I'm cool. Woo, yeah, and start rolling as fast as you can away, Jonah. Okay, can you imagine how horrible that would be if that really was a person's response? Let me give you some other scenarios. Can you imagine if a lifeguard refused to save a drowning person? I don't, I, I just, I don't have time for this. I'm working all my time. <laughs> can you imagine that? Can you imagine if a paramedic refused to perform CPR? I've got to finish my sandwich first. Hold on. Can you imagine a heart surgeon refusing to do heart surgery on a patient? Can you imagine a doctor refusing to tell a cancer patient that they have cancer and that unless they get some sort of treatment, they're going to die? I, I just didn't want to ruin their day. I, I want them to be my friend. I don't want to offend them. Can you imagine a policeman refusing to protect you from a burglar? You're on your own, man. Can, can you imagine a SWAT team member refusing to rescue a hostage? Can you imagine a person taking a lifeboat from a sinking ship and, again, not letting anybody else in? And can you imagine a parent refusing to rescue their own child from getting hit by a car? I told you to get out of the street. Right? Can you imagine uh, a fireman refusing to rescue somebody from a fire? Let me finish this song first on the radio. This is one of my favorites. Then, then I'll get up the ladder. Here's the whole point. Then why is it acceptable for a Christian to not to witness to the lost who are in danger of the fires of hell forever. Wow. All of a sudden, this Jonah guy seems really applicable. And just as God allowed a trial in the size of a whale, literally, for Jonah, did you realize that maybe sometimes the trials that we go through is God's wonderful reminder, merciful reminder, not just for us, but us who have the truth to get back out there and get our fervor back to get busy sharing the gospel with the lost. This is serious stuff. This is interesting. One guy said this. He says, we love to talk about evangelism and reaching out to the lost, but we've got to do much more than just talk about it. Listen to this. The current statistics worldwide in the body of Christ, in the professing church here in America, listen, okay, uh, is that 95% of people who call themselves Christians never lead one other person to Christ their entire life. I'm going to write that on the board. This is amazing. 95% of people claiming to be Christians, however long they've been saved, maybe it's even been 40 plus years, whatever, have never once, not once, led one person to Jesus Christ. 95%. 95%. Now, what blows me away about that statistic is I remember the, uh, about two and a half years ago, my very first Sunday here when I was candidating for the position here at Sunrise. It, just, and during, it was during announcement time. It just happened to be some statistics that came back from the Southern Baptist uh, Association. 
And the statistic, and this is one of the things that grabbed my heart, that got me to, to start to get a heart for Las Vegas. That very first Sunday, God set me up. Because this is my heart, okay, with a, a teaching and with evangelism. And when that sh- statistic was shared that Sunday, if you recall, I'm sure you do. But anyway, that statistic was this. They said, oh, the organization, Southern Baptist, has just come back. Did you know that 95% of people in Las Vegas do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? 95% was the number. Wait a second. That's, that's the same number of Christians who never once lead somebody to Christ. Now flip it around. This is what it means. Only 5% of Christians personally lead somebody else to Jesus. So if there were 200 people here today at sunrise, only 10 people in the whole congregation have ever once in their entire Christian walk ever led one person to Jesus. Wow, I get a theory that goes like this. The reason why this 95 percentile number still doesn't seem to change here in Las Vegas is because this number never changes. It's the exact same number. Isn't that mind-blowing? So if we're going to make a dent in this number in Las Vegas, this one has to change. And we can't leave it up to 5% of people in the church. All of us have to get busy witnessing for Jesus. And if we don't, then we're acting no different than selfish, careless Jonah. And maybe that's why we're going through what we're going through. Maybe it's one of the reasons why. God's trying to get us to get that fervor back. Get busy sharing the gospel. Listen, now flip it around this. This is this. Think of all the things that we do. Think of all the studies that we have. Think of all the outreaches. Think of all the discipleship opportunities. Think of all the times that we pray together and we fellowship together and we meet together. Listen to this. That means 95% of believers go to church services regularly. They get the word. They get the ministry. They get prayed for. They get inner healing. They get outer healing. They get counseled. They get loved. They get shepherded. They get encouraged. And yet all of this, it's consumed on themselves. Jonah. And it never translates into one other person being saved. Man. Remember how we started? And it was like, what a, what a creep. How could you care more about a plant than about lost souls? Suddenly, the book of Jonah is kind of convicting, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Hey, folks, we have got to stop being a bunch of Jonas, okay? All of us, not just 5% of us, need to be faithful firefighters if we're going to make a difference here in Las Vegas, okay? And so, again, sometimes we need to pay attention that, well, maybe this is what God's up to. Why am I going through this whale of a circumstances? Why are these things happening to me? Why is it, I'm just getting swallowed up by all this stuff? Why? What do I, what do, I do? Why? Maybe, maybe, if you would just consider and look forward to this good reason that maybe God realized that you have lost your fervor for the lost and you're not witnessing like you used to, like what happened to me, and then he's trying to use this as a wake-up call to get you active again and say, don't you ever lose your fervor for Jesus Christ. Don't you ever forget that, listen, I didn't just rescue you from hell, but I'm a God of mercy mercy and i want other people to go to heaven as well not just you but they're not going to get it from anybody else but from the church and dare i have to it's unfortunate to even say this you can't even get that from the church nowadays depending on what church services you go to they don't even share the gospel anymore i hear this all across the country in the media ministry i can't remember the last time that my church gave an altar call 
I can't remember the last time that the pastor ever once even shared the gospel. Praise God, they're teaching about the word. Praise God, exactly like what this said. They're getting healed. They're offering counseling. They're loving them. They're shepherding them. But nobody even in the church is sharing the gospel. What's going on? We have got to get back to being concerned about the Ninevites here in Las Vegas. Yeah, they do some pretty intriguing things. But have we forgotten where we came from? Hello? 1980s ex-headbanger, sexual more, male showman's pig guy involved in the occult, drug addict. Right here. And I remember early on it says, God, please don't ever let me forget where I came from. Because over time what happens is people see you for who you are now. They forget where you came from. And sometimes we do too. And we got to go back to the root and realize that God had mercy on us. We too at once were a Ninevite. Don't forget and lose your zealousness. Now when we think forward to that, when we consider that, then even in our circumstance, even in the midst of getting convicting that we have slowed down, backed away on sharing the gospel with the lost, it puts a smile on your face, isn't it? There actually should be, I like what one author said one time, a true genuine repentance is sweet. There should be a sweetness. It's kind of sorrowful, but a, 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 a manly sorrow doesn't produce anything. Godly sorrow produces repentance, the scripture talks about. And it's a sweetness. It's like, thank you, God. Thank you for caring enough to intervene, to not leave me here. Thank you for allowing me to go through this, to wake me up, because this is good. And again, in this aspect of witnessing, it's not just good for us, it's good for the lost. Thank you for not leaving me in my present state where I, I started out great. But somewhere along the line, I started to get careless and I began to care less because I got so selfish, just like Jonah, okay? Next one, this is a cool one, is to teach you the power of praise. You guys like that one? Yeah, well, yeah, that's, that's why I'm not in the choir. Hebrews 13, if you will. Go ahead and turn there, Hebrews 13. Let's take a look at this guy real quick. The power of praise. Man, I learned this one that uh, uh, first year of marriage. And we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> and it was the first year of marriage. I'll, I'll tell you in a little bit. Um, Hebrews 13, man. And uh, wow, this is cool. But what a deliverance when you catch on to this. It isn't just something that we should do and that God deserves from us at all times. It's good for us. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you in a little bit what I learned from it. Hebrews 13, let's take a look. Okay. And uh, this is awesome. Okay, verse 15 uh, as we'll, we'll start, it says this. Now, through Jesus, therefore, let us how, how often? Continually offer to God a what? Sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is what? Anybody ever wake up and say, oh, if I only knew how to please God. If I only knew how to live a life that he would be appreciative today. What should I do? Praise him. Praise him. And this is what's interesting. According to our text, Hebrews instructs us on some practical ways that we can uh, please God. This is great stuff. Okay, one, it says there in the context, it says we can do good things, right? It says we can also share things. Okay, but the very first thing that was mentioned there, it says that we can not just praise God, it says that we can continually praise God, right? That pleases God, okay? And, and, and because it's continual, it means that it's also going to be, because sometimes you're not going to want to do it, or feel like it so he uses the key word there it's going to be a sacrifice it's not just praising him it's a sacrifice of praise god i don't have anything but i'm going to sacrifice unto you a praise okay 
He says right there, he is pleased with that. Now, here's the problem that we have, Christian. See, we love to praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Woo-hoo. Thank you, God. God, you're so awesome. Our God is mighty God. He's awesome. Woo-hoo. God's good all the time, right? We say that. That's our little Christian thing, right? The code word. Hey, God's good. See, we all know that, right? Some hidden subliminal thing. And apparently, when you get born again, we all know how to play that game. And so we're all, yeah, yeah. But see, that's when things are good. Right? Now, here comes that horrible circumstances. I mean, we don't even miss a beat. We say, hey, God, what happened? And we whine, we complain, what is going on? You want to please God during that time? Go, don't even miss a beat. Thank God, God's good, God. All the time, yes, he's good. And we keep that same attitude continually. God goes, whoa, that's my child. He pleases me, she pleases me. Because I'm, he, they're content, it doesn't matter what happens to them. They so consider this, they look forward, they so know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know what I'm doing. You can always understand I'm doing something good in the midst of it. So why did you stop praising me? Do you trust me or don't you trust me? Now, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes it's hard, right? You are going through that crucible. But there's something about in your crucible of suffering still going, I praise you, Jesus. Thank you. And just sing your guts out to him. That's a sacrifice of praise. Now, listen, did you know there's only two times? I'm going to try to make it simple for you today. Did you know there's only two times in life that we need to praise God? All right? You'll get to some about it. Okay. Um, one, it's when you're alone, you need to praise God. And two is when you're with somebody. That's pretty much all the time, okay, in case you're wondering, okay. If you find yourself in some other experience between those two, you're apparently in the Doctor Who show and the TARDIS and time traveling. I don't know. But anyway, it's just one, <laughs> okay, all the time, okay. That's the only times, okay. Now, so what God does is he will allow circumstances to come to teach us the power of this praise, okay. Because what happens is even in, especially in the hard times, when you are still able to praise God, thank you, Jesus, in the midst of this, and you give him praise truly from your heart. Listen, what it does is that focuses your brain, that focuses your mind on the Lord. And once you get focused and stay focused in the midst of the trial on God the Father, not your pain, not the trial, but on him, there's a release. And it keeps it going into the gloom, despair, and agony on the... You ever been stuck in hee-haw theology as a Christian? Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. And, uh, and that's what happened to me, man. We were going through some trials, you know, that first year of marriage. And I'm usually Mr. Happy-Go-Lucky and lighthearted, whatever, corny jokes. I know it's a surprise. I pause for the effect. And so anyway, so, and I know it's... Right? And so literally, this is one time, and we're going through some challenges there. And I was, I was down in the dumps. And for like one day, it was like, it was actually, it was a creepy thing. I was like, I was depressed. Me, right? And then I, and I remember, it was like, I, I rolled into the second day and it didn't go away. It's like the Adams family camped over my head. You know what I'm saying? This old cloud, dark cloud thing, right? And the second day, I got up the next day to go to work and there, it was still there. Just like, it was just like, you know, I, in fact, I think I was even getting depressed about being depressed at that point. You ever been there? And so on the third, and so I'm sitting there, I'm getting ready for the, for the day in the morning uh, to go to work. And then I'm sitting there, I'm getting ready and just hopping in the shower. And then all of a sudden the, the words go through my brain, can't you still praise me? I'm going, what? I mean, in the midst of the, can't you still praise me? And so I go, okay. And I, my, I would love to say my attitude was just so wonderful and spiritual. <laughs> yes, I'm, I said, whatever. And so I, I said, all right, yeah, okay. Kind of like that kind of attitude. And so I just uh, picked a song in my brain, uh, I'll Enter His Gates. 
And so I was just like, yeah, it was t- completely perfunctory. It wasn't like you know, your heart felt or anything like that. And it was just like, I will enter his gates for thanksgiving in my heart. I'll enter his courts with praise and whatever. And so I finished that first song, but I kept felt like, you know, can you still praise me? So I kept going. So I moved on to the next song, whatever. I get into the second song, and all of a sudden, starting to get into it a little bit more. You know, I'm, you know, I'm taking a shower or whatever, getting into it, whatever. And I kid you not, man, by the third song, I'm sitting there, I'm so into it. Woo, yeah. I'm at the top of my lungs, praising God. Woo. And it was, I'm sure the neighbors downstairs, we lived in an apartment complex, they probably appreciated it. But I'm, I'm going all gusto, man, in the shoes, I'm praising God, and, and boom, the depression instantly went away. Just like that, completely gone. I mean gone, and never came back. And, and, and what God taught me there, that was a sacrifice of praise. I didn't feel like it. Frankly, I didn't want to do it. My mind was so encamped with hee-haw theology. I was so locked into my circumstances. I was so locked into myself and what I was going through and what I was feeling. And I, 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 I created a black hole. And what happens, what I learned is when you offer to God a sacrifice to him in the midst of that, what it does is, see, when you're in a black hole, where's your brain the whole time? It's on you. It's on your circumstances. Something has to break that chain, right? And when you are forced to focus and praise God continually and don't stop, all of a sudden, it snaps and it gets your brain out of that black hole because you're now focused on the father you're now rejoicing in him now you're starting to think biblically not selfishly self-centeredly which will always lead to a depressing black hole okay it's the power of praise continually offering up to god a sacrifice because it's going to be a sacrifice sometimes you're not going to want to do it you're not going to feel like it but do it anyway and you'll experience that one of my all-time favorite stories of this um and examples of this is Horatio Spafford. He and his family members were at the uh, members of the Fullerton Avenue Presbyterian Church. And Spafford and his wife had learned what it meant to completely trust God in every situation. Okay? Uh, first, the Spafford's only son was killed by scarlet fever at the age of four. First circumstance. And a year later, Horatio had invested heavily in real estate on the shores of Lake Michigan. But every one of these holdings was wiped out by the great Chicago fire. So aware of these tolls that these disasters had taken on his family, Horatio decided to take his wife and four daughters, okay, he already lost his son, his four daughters, on a holiday to England and then travel throughout Europe. You know, just get their mind off all this stuff. Yet, uh, just before they set sail, a last-minute business issue forced Horatio to delay. So not wanting to ruin the family holiday, he told his family to go on ahead as planned and he'd catch up to them on the other side of the Atlantic. However, the ship never made it. It collided with the English sailing ship and sank within 20 minutes. And even though Horatio's wife, Anna, uh, survived, she was able to cling to a piece of floating wreckage. All four of his remaining kids, all four of his daughters, died. The next thing you know, Horatio receives a horrible telegram from his wife, and it's only two words long, saved alone. This really happened to a Christian. Now, so he immediately gets bored on the next available ship to be near his grieving wife because they took her over to the rest of the way to England. And during the voyage, the captain of the ship called him and said, I believe we are now passing the place where the ship was wrecked, where his daughters were killed, over there on the sea. So Horatio, the Christian guy, he returned to his cabin and he penned the lyrics of this great hymn of praise, sacrifice praise, to God in the midst of his pain. 
Maybe you recognize it. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, lest this blessed assurance control, that Christ has regarded my helpless state and hath shed his own blood for my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. How in the world could that guy do that? He's over the watery grave of his four daughters. He already just lost his son. His business is going down the tubes, his adventures. And he's over the watery grave and he, he offers that up to God. Anybody realize that that's the impetus behind the song that we sing all the time? It is well, it is well with my soul. You understand what it took to produce that song? A sacrifice of praise. Okay? Horatio's hand brings us back to the bottom line, guys, that in our relationship with God, it is God and God alone that holds us fast in our trials. And no matter what goes on in life, we can trust Him and in His sovereignty that He knows what He's doing and we can still praise Him. But what I like about this example is this sacrifice of praise, He actually took the time to record it. And this is what goes through my mind. And it's been a blessing to many generations, right? Whether we realize the background of it or not. It's blessed us. How many times have we sing in that praise hymn, It is well with my soul, and it's literally ministered to our soul. Now listen to this. This is where my brain goes, okay? How many times have we sing that song, we never realize the impetus of that song. Now listen, it makes me wonder about our problems here in this generation today and what we might be missing out. Think of this. How many new worship songs just as powerful as It Is Well With My Soul is God trying to get this generation to sing out to Him to be a blessing to this generation, but it never comes to pass because we never offer Him a sacrifice of praise. You ever think about that? That maybe God wants you to not just sing somebody else's song. Maybe he wants you out of your pain to sing him an individual song. So you can go cut that new Christian CD and go on tour. <laughs> no, I don't think that was his impetus. That's what it's become today. Unfortunately. But maybe he wants your sacrifice to praise to not just please him. But to be a blessing to this generation and generations to come. But that only happens when we offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Interesting. Now, when you consider that, hmm, maybe that's what he's doing with this one. Maybe God, whether it literally is, listen, turns out to be a, a next new hymn or another new song. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But maybe he'll work in your heart something beautiful Maybe it spurs you on in your walk with Jesus Christ. Maybe it will help you to get more involved uh, in your service to Christ. Things of that nature. God can still do a beautiful melody with it. Whatever it is, we can be released. Even Can you imagine the grief he was going through? I mean, I was just depressed for a couple of days and it freaked me out. Can you imagine the level? There's something about being able to, in the midst of our crucible, in the midst of our pain, still give God a sacrifice of praise that, listen, again, it not only breaks us free of the black cloud and the depression, but maybe God wants to use that as an impetus to be a blessing to other people. Isn't that awesome? 
Isn't that what we want? Don't we want purpose in our pain? Don't we want value in our suffering? God is the only one who could recycle our tears into something wonderful to make beauty out of ashes. Maybe that's what he's doing. And when you take a look at that, when you consider that, you look forward to that and beyond the shadow of a doubt, you know it's got to be something and maybe this is it. Praise God for that. That he's getting mileage off of my pain and making it purposeful and valuable, not just for me, but for other people. Isn't that enough to keep a smile on your face? Yeah. Lord willing, next week, we're going to finish it up. We've got hopefully three more to go. And then it's off to verse four. Woo! Hey, that'll put a smile on your face, won't it? It's already started. It works every time. I'll have to add that to the list. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so, out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law, or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder and you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short 
of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.